Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, the Renault Selection used car event, is now on. If you want to save thousands, check out this month's offers, including low APR finance, two years warranty, and roadside assistance. Terms and conditions apply. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. And I'm truly delighted to have my first guest with me today. During an illustrious career, he had 24 professional wins, including eight on the European Tour, five on the European Seniors Tour, and two on the PGA Tour of Champions in the USA. And ahead of the first major of the season, the Masters in Augusta, which begins tomorrow. And an exciting year for Irish golf here at home. I'll say hello again to Des Smith. Des, you're very welcome. Thank you, Jerry. Nice to be here. And thank you for being with us today. Well, let's talk about the Masters for a moment because okay. it's on the horizon. First off, you've been there. Can you explain for people the magic of Augusta that we well, hear? Well, that's true. The magic is driving up Magnolia Drive. I think for the players, uh, you know, the minute they go through the gates and go through that drive, the flutters start, you know. And now they've been there a few days and they've been doing their practice. Uh, so the action will start tomorrow. But... You know, for the for the newcomers, they're going to be all inspired by the whole situation because it's the most unusual place. You drive down that lane, you just see a clubhouse in the distance and then it sort of opens up. It's an old colonial building and then you go the other side of the clubhouse and this vast area and that's the Augusta National Golf Club and you can see so much of it from the hill because the clubhouse is set up on a hill. It's it's a wonderful place. Now, what about tomorrow? Because people are listening to you today and say, Des Smith knows who's going to win the <laughs> Masters this year. I don't know who's going to win but I know it's, you know, from a golfer's point of view, this kicks off the season, you know, especially in our part of the world where spring is arriving mm. and people are itchy to get out and hit a bit of play a bit of golf you know four days of watching the Masters and you're as keen as mustard to go so who's going to win listen it's hard to know I I do think though we're going to have a new winner because the top 10 ranked players in the world have never won the Masters they've won other majors like our own Rory has won four majors but Mm. never the Masters and other players like him so I think one of those will probably win it Mm. and so we will have a new winner I hope Is Rory severely in contention now this year he's shown good form and then a little bit back and will yeah, he be there? I fancy him big time I really do uh, I think this is his year uh, his game was made for this golf course he, he should have won it some years ago when he had that mm. breakdown down the back nine but he recovered very quickly six weeks later he won a, a US Open uh, everything points to him being the favourite and he is the favourite with the bookies as well um, he hasn't finished outside the top six this year He's had a win in recent weeks. Mentally, he's in a great place. I really hope he wins because there have been five players in the history of the game that have won the four majors. And it'd be great to have an Irishman as number yes, six. Yes, and he's uh, won the others, of course. They're all in his back pocket. You mentioned McElroy. Look, names like Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler. What about the, the boys who've been there a few years? Mickelson and Woods. Has Tiger any chance? I think he's got an outside chance. I don't fancy him, um, but 
you know, he is the iconic player mm. of our generation and probably the best player that's ever played the game. Now, I've been a Jack Nicholas fan all my life and I still think Jack is, was amazing and, and, and did so much for the game. But, you know, Tigers, uh, the stardom that he's created you know the golf he's played over such a period and we all wrote, wrote him off a few years ago after the accidents yes. and his personal problems but now he's back playing great golf so again that would be a dream for the Masters if if Tiger could win it <laughs> and I would be delighted for him if it happened God remember at the end of last year when he won that tournament and yeah. then the 18th you were probably watching it that night I was. The, they nearly knocked him over Des coming yeah. down the yeah. 18th that and night and look he's, he's, he's the fallen icon let's yeah. face it but, yeah. but if you put, set all that aside from a, from a sportsman's point of view he's been through the wars and he's come back mm. and I think that's what people like to give guys a, a break and a second chance and I would love you know f- to see him win that that event I'd love him to see any major because I think he's really struggling to win a major now mm. you know the competition is fierce yes. the young players are there they're as hungry as be damned to try and win so he's a lot to do now the format this year with the majors has changed because they run month and month. So we have April, uh, Augusta, the, the Masters, which yeah. will be followed by the US PGA in May, the US Open in June, and the Open Championship in July. Do you like yes. that that they follow a month on? Yeah, I think they've they got together. All the the, the good thing about golf is they all talk. You know, mm. the RNA speak to the European Tour, the European Tour speak to the PGA Tour, and all the tours get together at the majors and talk to each other, and they came up with this formula. Let's do this early in the year it it suits the FedEx Cup which goes later in the year it doesn't take away too many European players because we need them at the back end of the year race to Dubai so they you know they, they, they do as best they can to spread the the big players around the world and get as much out of them as they can. Now, July in Ireland is going to be something else, starting with the Irish Open, the Dubai duty-free Irish Open at Le Hinge Golf Club, a yeah. famous old course. Yeah, this is going to be something special. I was down there last weekend and the work they're doing is absolutely amazing. I think it's going to be a great uh, tournament. And like I mentioned, you can only expect to get so many players, world star players, to come to any tournament if it's not a major World Championship. So last year the Dubai Judy Free Irish Open in Ballyliffin had seven of the top 50 ranked in the world. This year it's looking like we're going to have 15 of the top 50 ranked in the world. So and as well as that, it leads into the Open two weeks later. So we're hoping uh, it's going to be a. Gr- I know it's going to be a great field, but you're always hoping you're going to pull some of the really big ones out of the hat. Unfortunately, Rory explained why he's not going to play this year. You know, there were there's issues in his life, and also he's done a great job. You know, with the Irish Open between the Rory Foundation, Dubai Duty Free, and the European Tour, they've really put yeah. the Irish Open back up where it should be. So he feels he needs a, a, a year of downtime to prepare for the Open, which is really on one of his home courses up in Port Rush. But I'm looking at some of the names that are coming. Lee Westwood, Danny Willett, yeah. Masters winner there as well. Tommy yeah. Fleetwood on yeah. top of his game. Yeah. Brilliant. They're all the time in the big ones. Louis Eustace. Yeah. There's a fellow I fancy for the, well, for the Masters. You know, I have a note or two here about Louis and I fancy Louis Eustace as well. But you're just getting back to the Masters, there's a name that's no one talking about and that's Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka has won three of the last six majors 
and he's at 22 to 1. I think that could be the bet of the week. <laughs> I got it out of him at last. I was hoping he'd I, give us something. Now you've yeah, heard it today exclusively yeah. from Des. But I do like Shane Lowry at, at 100 to 1 as well as, as an each way bet. Yeah. Because Shane has won a tournament. We're lucky with a few of our top players have won. I mean, Graham McDowell, who's not in the Masters, but he's won recently. And, you know, the, his form, he might get back there next year. And, of course, Rory has already won. So... The Irish stuff's in a good place. It is. Lahinch, back to Lahinch for a minute and the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open. Um, it's staged like all the major amateur, uh, you know, in, in Ireland in its time and uh, it's the host of, of the South. Is it the South? Y- yes, for many years. For many years. It's, it's, it's always been the, the You host. mentioned the work going on there. So there's some adjustments being done to cater for this? Yeah, yeah, b- big time. I mean, you, you know, the logistics is huge mm. for a tournament of that stature and, you know, parking and park and ride they're working out all those logistic things with the local uh, county council and the guards and all that and they've brought the par down from 72 to 70 to make to, to stiffen up the the, uh, the the actual competition and they've also um, put new tees in in areas as well so you know I think Lahinch is going to present itself in a really good light Will we ever see it back out the road in Baltray? Yeah, there is a possibility because they often ask me, is it available? The problem nowadays, like for instance, Ballyliffin, when it went up there between Derry County Council and Donegal County Council, they had to put a million on the table Mm. because the overhead for running these things is huge. And the European tour goes in, they have to bring a lot of people in. They have to be paid for flights, you know. They they don't have money in the back of their pocket for this. So the problem now, the fact that it's Dubai Duty Free Irish Open, it's a Rolex series event now. So it's one of the top eight events in Europe. The overhead's quite high. So I think if County Loud or, or even Seapoint for that matter, which is a, a very fine golf course and well capable of putting a, a tournament on, um, the problem is between the Drogheda area, the Loud County Council and the region, They'd have to come up with some money to put on the table. Okay. That's, that's the hard part. Absolutely. We'll, we'll leave that for another day. Now, later in July then, of course, the Open Championship returns to the island of Ireland for the first time since 1951 to Port, Port Rush and the Dunluce course. And again, there's been major renovations with a few holes there. Yes, there has. Yes, I haven't been up to see it, but I was speaking to Greg Allen, who was up at a media day recently. Uh, Greg is reporting from the Masters this week. And he said the place is absolutely immaculate. So they've been preparing for this now for about seven years. And they've restructured their golf course. They've created areas so they can uh, facilitate, as I say, TV uh, trucks coming in. And you see, they beam it all around the world. Like the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open is going to go across America. It's going to go across America. And I only heard today that the Golf Channel are sending their own crew and will have their own studio set up in La Hinch. So, you know. Couldn't buy that type of publicity, could you, for the country? You couldn't. You couldn't buy it. But once there's a tournament of that stature, these people want to be there yeah. to report it around the world. So that's the advantage of having a big event. And Port Rush, of course, you've played it in your time. What a challenge the links! Yeah, there. it's one of the great links courses we have in this country, and they've improved it even more. So, and it's great that it's in Northern Ireland. You know, with all the problems and the history over the last forty years, to have the Open Championship back in Ireland is absolutely wonderful. I have two tickets for the Friday. Thank God I got them. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going up myself. To be honest with you, now. 
let's talk a little bit more in general about the game. The new rules of golf days that have yeah. come in at the start of this year. Mm-hmm. A bit of a prickly start with different aspects of yeah, it. Yeah, it'll take time. Um, it appears to me, uh, it strikes me, they want to speed the game up. You know, it's a great game. And with the way people's lives have changed... You know, five hours is too long to be out there at a golf course. You know, they're coming up now. They're building, would you believe in America, they're building 12-hole courses just to speed things up. Uh, there's more events over nine holes than ever before. So people can get away, have two hours and come back. But you play 18 holes of golf and if you get behind slow players, it is a bugger. I know my own boys, your boy too, plays down in County Loud. My boys play early in the morning because they say, we can get around in four hours. Anything after 10 o'clock and it's taken five. It's taking too long. People are, I'm not saying they're taking the game too serious, of course. You have to give it a bit of time. But they get too engrossed in their own game. They really should be ready to hit. And so these new rules, the quick drop, three minutes looking for a golf ball, um, go golf. So when you're ready, you hit. None of this, you know, established way. Waiting. Waiting for the guy behind you to hit. If you're ready, go. So so we're, they reckon they're going to take 25 minutes off around the golf if people adopt the rules properly. Now, Kucher and Sergio had a little tete-a-tete at the World yes, Golf I saw that. recently. What did you make of that? Well, look, uh, if you were playing with your buddy, it probably wouldn't happen. But Sergio w- w- was wrong. Uh, he had a putt to win. He missed it and he threw his putter and chipped the ball back. The putt wasn't given. Anyone who plays match play knows until the ball goes into the hole, the hole isn't finished. And he looked at Kucher saying, well, but really, it wasn't Kucher's call, it was the referee's call. Mm. Now, if you were playing with your buddy on the golf course, you'd probably say, yeah, we'll, that's a half. But they were playing in a world match play event and they had an official uh, uh, referee and he can't overrule rules. Unless it's specifically said it's given, you must put the ball in the hole. So I'm afraid he was wrong. So Kucher was right. And a lot of people said, you know, oh, that was lousy. He should have bloody well given it to him. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. They're the rules. Come back to what you said there, because I had it on my notes here to talk to you today about and this thing of the length of time on the course and attracting young people into the game. Well, nowadays in life, time is even more precious for people with work and family responsibilities. Is that the way to reinvigorate the game and get more people in? You're talking about American nine-hole, 12-hole, that type of thing. Yes, I think it is. Uh, and also, we, we go to a lot of trouble to go to schools and talk to children about the game and try and hook them into the game of golf because um, I know your son Jerry was a very good player and, and my children played when they were young. Golf is a game, it's like riding a bike. If you can get kids into golf you know, on their summer holidays, their, their Easter holidays, they have it for life. So when they finish with a working career or whatever careers they have, they can start playing golf again because the majority of people who play golf midweek are pretty well retired, you know. And it's only weekends where people who come off work will, will get the mm. time to play. So we're working hard to encourage juniors and young people into the game and let's hope they continue playing it. Dave Smith is with me on late lunch. I'm taking a short break. I have more to talk to him about. If you'd like to talk to him about a question from today, you know the usual numbers, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. You can call in now on 1850-715-958. Dave Smith is with me on late lunch tomorrow. The master starts. God, everyone will be glued from tomorrow. And what a year it's going to be in Ireland. The uh, Dubai Duty Free Irish Open at La Hinch in July and the Open Championship up at North at Port Rush a little later on in the month. The club scene, 
days and you've been involved uh, with late down Bettystown, you mentioned County Loud, Sea Point Cuts, a hotbed just around here at golf, isn't it? Yeah. What about in general where we had the, the Tiger years and there was an expansion of clubs and they opened everywhere, then a contraction. Is it about right or is there more of a shakeout to happen, do you think? No, I think actually it's in a healthy position, Jerry. Uh, some some places will say if you're in uh, the metropolitan Dublin area, they'll 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 find it hard to get juniors out. But you know what I see in Leighton and Bettystown, and what I see in County Loud and Sea Point, they're encouraging junior golf big time. I attend some of the functions, and I'm always impressed with the interest and the numbers. So. I think it's in a pretty healthy place, um, but you know the Rory McIlroys of this world help when when uh, you you have someone that's winning major events across the world who happens to be Irish, that gives the game a shot in the arm in this part of the world. Um, I know it's in a pretty healthy state across Europe as well. It's growing slowly, but it's growing. Uh, the big growth area, believe it or not, is in Asia. Mm. That's where the big growth is in golf. I know in America they're struggling a little with so many private clubs. We don't do private here. You know, you can you can go out and get in for reasonable money. You can tie into uh, clinics that the local pros are putting and driving ranges. It gets kids into golf. You just want to give them a basic understanding, you know, grip and stance and all that, and then let them out and play and enjoy it. It's great to get them early. There's no doubt and, and start them off and give them the love. But it's a sport as well you can take up really at any age. It's more difficult if you haven't played. That's right. what I mentioned earlier. Yeah, you can, you know, I know loads of people who tuck it up on their 50s. After football careers yeah, or things yeah, like that. But they found it very difficult. Right. You can gel both. I mean, I played golf as a kid, luckily, because I lived in Bettystown. Yeah. Uh, but I also played soccer and Gaelic and, and all the other tennis and all the other sports. So if you can get uh, young people into golf early, it, it's a big benefit for them down the road. Very important. What about you? What are you up to? Are you still playing? Do you love to go out? And I still love the game. I'm nearly finished. Uh, um, I, I've been over, I'm 45 years playing professional golf and I've got a feeling this could be it. I, I played uh, a half a tour last year on the European Stayshore Tour, it's called now. They had 18 events. I played nine. I'll probably only play eight this year. Yeah, I can see the finishing post coming up fast, but I've no regrets. I've enjoyed every bit of it. I think this year will probably be my last. Do you know when you go out still yeah. to play? Or, and I know you play, you know, you play the club competitions. That is, well. you told me about you love your turkey as oh, well. Oh, I do, yeah. I like, I like to have a go at that. <laughs> have you that edge, you know what I mean? Have you always, you know, when you think back to how competitive you were? Yeah, well, maybe, I, you know, I don't do the work that I used to do, yeah. obviously. But I still love it and I love hitting good golf shots. And I, I'm like anyone else. I absolutely hate hitting bad golf shots, you know. Um, but no, I still enjoy the game as much as ever. I love a bet with my friends and I, lo- I love when I have a card in my pocket and see what score I can shoot. I think that's the essence of the game. 18-hole mm. stroke play for me, that's what golf's about. Mm. The the year you went close in the Open, that was close, wasn't it? Was, it? You it was, were yeah. not far away from winning that little claret jug. No, that's right. I had my chance uh, in 1982 when mm. Tom Watson won. I had a few other very enjoyable runs, never looked like winning, got in the t- top 15 a few times but yeah 1982 was the closest I got and of course when you look back you have your regrets if only if only but listen I had my chances I just just didn't make it 
Well, I'll tell you one thing. You made many, many people from here because we always looked on you as representing us when you were on the world stage and yeah. you did a blimmin' great job of it. I have a couple of questions for you. Somebody says, uh, is the era finished when uh, children who are not of wealth can't get into golf clubs? I think that day is long gone, isn't it? Oh, it's a long gone. Yeah, just yeah. a question it's there. long gone. You don't have to have. You don't need to have. And as well as that, you can, you, with the Golfing Union of Ireland and the programmes they have, if they spot a talented player in the club or at a driving range or a young person is showing progress they're brought into the programmes and all their funding is taken care of mm. Somebody else saying why do you refer to McElroy and McDowell etc as Irish when they're actually from Northern Ireland because I'll tell you why I won't even let Des answer that <laughs> Golf is an all-Ireland yeah, sport Yeah I'd like to explain that yeah. You know I'm, I'm Irish I'm also European and the game of golf is a worldwide sport so it's not parochial No Great way to finish our chat today. Do remember, Le Hinch, the Dubai Irish Open happening this year in early July, followed by the Open Championship in Portrush. It's a huge year for us here on the island as a whole. Des Smith, lovely to catch up with you today. Thank you very Thanks much. a million. Now, my next guest is a young man. He's only 23 years of age and full of the joys of life, making his way in a sporting career. He was some performer MMA and kickboxing. But last July, his life changed and changed dramatically. We're going to hear the story now. He's with me on the show. I'm delighted to welcome Aaron Riley to Late Lunch. Aaron, good to see you again. Good to see you, Thank Jake. you for joining us. MMA, kickboxing, it was flying for you. You were doing really well, weren't you? Really well. I'd won my last four or five kickboxing fights in a row, you know, and then I was getting ready to fight MMA. And I was four weeks out from an MMA fight and uh, all of a sudden, boof. What happened to you? Uh, I sat down, so I, I trained that morning. Um, I trained that morning and I was went home then. I usually wouldn't go home. I'd usually stay in the gym and uh, stick around, sweep the mats and then get ready for the kids' class at 5, 5.30. Um, I went home, I had a nap and I woke up, went down. My mum had cooked dinner and uh, I sat down and I took one bite of my dinner and started feeling... Dizzy, clumsy, um, confused. Um, I stood up to go get a glass of water and I knocked over my fork. I knocked a bit of my dinner off. and uh, So I continued. I tried to get my water. I uh, got the water out of the uh, out of the press, brought it over to the fridge and uh, all of a sudden I just started feeling dizzy. And uh, I, I was trying to kind of say, like, I don't feel good. And I noticed my speech had kind of deteriorated and I felt dizzy so I put my glass down but I kind of slammed it down not meaning to slam it down Um, yeah and uh, my vision started to go all of a sudden that's frightening isn't it yeah like from a fit healthy fella who'd been training that day going through the the motions of your routines etc not a bother didn't feel unwell up to that point at all after that point? No, before. The train, before, yeah, before perfect. Before, no perfectly problem. fine, no up until problem. you sat down. Took so what happened from there? Your vision here start to feel light, everything like that. What happened? Um, so my kitchen is beside me, is my sitting room. So my mum was sitting on the sofa in the sitting room and uh, I said, I tried to say, I don't feel well, I feel like I'm having a stroke, but it kind of sounded like, I don't feel well. Um, yeah, so my speech started to go. <coughs> um then she she thought he was messing. She uh, she mm. goes, "Are you messing?" Like, 
I said, call an ambulance, trying to say call an ambulance. She couldn't, she was like, are you messing? So I just, in a panic, said, help me, started shouting, help me. But then she realised, she got straight on the phone, rang, nine, uh, rang emergency services. Um, and my face, she noticed my face started to droop, yeah. Yes. The facial droop. But then uh, this, the symptoms kind of stopped. I went outside, I took my top off, I thought it was overheating or something. Um, took my top off and uh, I'd kind of gone back to normal but then I had a second episode where I couldn't pick my phone up I'd lost grip um, and then eventually the first responders arrived and then the, the ambulance arrived into the Lords I still had a facial droop and this Lord's speech so they kept me over so from Betty Stern, well, the, the time frame were they, as quick as they could they got to you I'm as sure quick as they could. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, interesting, very fast. And into the Lourdes Hospital and you're into A&E immediately, is it, yes? Into A&E immediately. It was, it was daunting in there. It was like people that were, you know, it was in there with people with serious injuries and, you know, mm. like surgery was being done right mm. next to me and stuff. Like it was mm. daunting, you know. But then they brought me to a room. They, uh, so they, what they do is they... Uh, they drain you. They drain all your body, like for clots and stuff. So they do that. They do a CT scan. That was fine. And then they kept me overnight. So they sent me on my merry way. They didn't know what it was because it was it wasn't that severe. But a stroke's a stroke, you know. Mm. Like Jerry, it's a serious matter. Serious you know? matter for anybody <laughs> yeah. of any age. But you're 23 years of age. You're a young fella. That's you why don't they associate weren't sure. this with your age group. Yeah, exactly. That's why because I was fit and healthy and yes, they weren't sure. So. The symptoms sort of it settled down again. Those symptoms went. Your your face rectified. Your speech came back. Yeah, but I could still feel my face. No, I could still feel numbness in my face, and I could still feel the like looseness of my grip. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But then a week later, I had a, an MRI scan, and that's when they realised. Yeah, it was it was definitely a stroke. Um. So that night, I went to the gym just to walk around and um, say hello. And that night, I, because I was I was after finding out it was a stroke, I was nervous and I stayed up late and went up to my mum and said, I need to get to a hospital. So it came back at you? It felt like it was, but it wasn't. Yeah. They they kept me in and then they kept me for a week to find out what actually was the cause of the stroke. And they did, an op- they did a surgery. They put a camera down my throat to see if there was a hole at the back of my heart. They found the hole and that was the cause. So a hole on the back of the heart was the cause of the stroke. Yeah. And you knew nothing about this, that you ever no, had I knew this. About Never it. picked up in your whole life. Never picked up in my whole life. So had you had any procedure to have after that or what did they do to, could they repair that? I had a PFO closure is what it's called. So they put like it's I I'm not really sure what it is. It's like a uh it's like mesh, a spider web and it fills the hole in your heart. Okay. And I had that done last December so that repair is done what did they say to you you know having had one did they give you reassurances that this wouldn't happen again or what were you told well it could always happen again you know that way but that's what they said about the hole in the heart that way that I had that stroke the chances of that happening again are halved okay that's good news now back to the kickboxing and the MMA I take it that that was at an end at that stage. That was at an end. That's you had to give that up. Yeah. Was that a blow that. to you? Oh, big time. Yeah, you know, like a, like a, it's a community in this country, but it's because so, we're such a small country and because it's such a small 
sport kind of really at the minute like it, it really is it's still growing mm. you know I know Conor McGregor and stuff like that like it, it is still it's a tight knit community so like you would have gotten close to a lot of people from different parts of the country um, but you know like you put it up on Facebook I can't fo- I put up a big start Facebook status saying like oh, I can't fight anymore and you know you get all the feedback people texting you and stuff like and that gets you as well like it, mm. you know it's tough writing that stuff out because I'd met so many nice people and you know I'd had so many nice experiences yes through that sport to not be able to do it anymore it's you know mm. and it obviously big part of your life gone did it get you down a bit in yourself ah, big time yeah but that's it Jerry like it, it, it was gone like I, I had to take a step back I really did have to take a step back from my own health you know like even like the likes of like holding pads and stuff for, for kids like it's you know it's, you couldn't uh, even do that. Not really yeah. at the time. I could now, you know, but mm. at the time I had to take a step back. But you're not a man to uh, give up the ghost altogether when it comes to being involved or taking part in sport. What happened? Because something happened that you describe as a lifeline to you. Big time. Yeah, so I was sitting in hospital. I'd had a bad day. Um, I had visitors and I was down in the dumps and uh, I was talking to one of my friends Alan uh, Alan Rowe he, uh, he I actually texted him because he told me he'd taken a stroke and he still does Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and he said I, I, you wouldn't know but I, t- I took a stroke there last uh, in 2015 I think it was or 2017 and he was telling me he's like but I was kind of like doubting myself I was saying uh, but how do I do this? What if I hap- what if I have another stroke while I'm teaching kids? And he said, uh, "Look, like it could happen to anyone, you know." Um, then I got a phone call off his instructor. Now my instructor, uh, Wayne Fagan. Um, he really like I trained with Wayne. I was actually getting ready to go up to Wayne's and train that day that I took my stroke. But um, he re- he he kind of rang me and he just said, "Look." Come up to me. I'll help you. I'll help coach you. Um, I just do jiu-jitsu which is all he really does. Like, um, he's a black belt. Um, and he said he just said, "Look, you'll be safe with me." Um, you know, and he he, he just put me in the right direction, Jerry. You know, he really kind of settled my nerves, like yeah. in that sense. And he's been true to his word ever since. You know, mm. he really would have got uh, jiu-jitsu going in the northeast. Yes, and uh, like. You know, he's been around years. He he, he would have trained with John Cavanagh, Conor McGregor's coach, and yeah. Gone. Oh yeah, we met him here. We we know him. We know yeah. him well. He's a he's a fine fella, and we say hello to him today. Um, but here you go. You're back in the game, but a different game. Let me take a short break on late lunch. He's staying with us for a few more moments. Aaron Riley is here. What about that? He had a stroke at 23 years of age, but he's picked himself up again, and he's going to represent us on the world stage. Stay with us to hear more. Aaron Riley's with me. He's a young man, and he suffered a stroke at 23 years of age, but he's up and running again and recovered and doing really well. Jiu-jitsu is contact as well. It's, it's a different type of sport, but... There is contact. It's very physical. Yeah. It's, it's. I think it's more physical than MMA or kickboxing could ever be. You know, it's you're, It's two people rolling around on yeah. the floor or or standing up and you're close, you know. Yeah. It's as close as human beings could be, I think, Jerry. You know. But the one thing about it is you can always opt out if you feel the the going's getting too tough, yes. That's what they said to me in the hospital. Well, that's not what they... That's what I told the doctors in the <laughs> hospital. Yeah. So the doctor said... Uh, he was like... Well, I said to the doctor, I was like, um, well, I know I can't fight MMA. I know I can't do kickboxing anymore. 
but can I still do jiu-jitsu? And what he said was, he, he, I understand, he, he said he he didn't know enough about it. Hmm. And I said, well, if I'm getting choked, it's just a matter of... Tapping. Tapping. And he said he wouldn't like to see me in a dark alley. <laughs> so I took that the right way, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I started back training, and I think it was September, maybe. It was September. It was the fall. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Part of September, I remember. And I've competed since. Like, I've competed in conventional competitions since. And I've meddled so you know, I'm able to do it, Jake. Yeah. What way does it work? Explain about what happens. The, you, the, you go in and add the rounds in it? No, it's so... It's a, it, so I, went, I, I got my blue belt in December there, which was a big thing, but it's so... For blue belts, it's a six-minute match. Okay. Um, so it just starts and away you go for six minutes? Yeah. You, maximum six minutes? Max six minutes. And if you're both still standing there, are the judges scoring this? They're, no, so there's a referee. Right. Well, there are, yeah, there is a judge. There's one judge, and yeah. he puts the points up. Okay. There's points on the board um, for certain positions, yes. and then for certain submission attempts. Yes. Um, but if you if you get the submission, then you win. You it's know? over before the six minutes. Yeah. If somebody does the tap that we're talking about, and yeah, yeah the, the 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 contest is over. over. So you've progressed rapidly at this to the point you're heading to the Middle East, are you? I'm heading to Abu Dhabi. Uh, on the seventeenth of this month, flights are booked, hotels are booked. Um, yeah, it's 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 the United Arab Emirates Jiu Jitsu Federation, so it's a big enough federation. Um, they it's going on the last three years. They they're looking for para athletes. Yes. Um, I I seen it on Instagram. A, a girl from the US. She uh, she was posting about it on her Instagram, and she she has something wrong with her arm. Yes, I seen it, so I got onto them. I emailed the guy straight away. Um, can I uh, compete in this? And he said, mm. "Yeah, you, I, I had a stroke last." Yes, so it's it, it's para jiu-jitsu and it's for people who have different conditions, and there's different categories within it as well. Yeah. Yes. So I won't be competing against someone missing a limb. Yes, I understand. I'll be against other people with neurological problems. Correct. So you're going to be like with like competing there as well. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, weren't contemplating when you were in hospital for that week, and then telling them telling you how serious the situation was. That should be going where you're going now this month for sure. I, I didn't think I'd ever train again. I didn't think I'd ever step on the mats again. That first night in hospital, that second night in hospital. 
must do you really good. It does. It's it, it shows how far people can get, you know, like from being in a hospital bed. Some people would just lie down, you know, but like why lie down? Get up get back up, you know, you're able to get back up. Do what you can do. I go to a I go to a group now in R D. I actually had one of the lads on there a couple of weeks ago and uh like it's given me the confidence to really do what I want to do. But that's so it's with Doctor Neve Rowe, but she always says like do concentrate on what you can do. You know. Not what you can. Exactly. I wouldn't even think of that now, you yes. know that way. Like I just what I can do, what I can do, what I can do. Always. And now it's it's reaping the rewards like I'm getting sponsors off big fightwear companies and you know like I'm getting interviews on radio shows <laughs> it's brilliant like LMFM it's yeah, brilliant you know yeah, but look you have a wonderful story you have an inspirational story and you're a young man who's picked yourself up and changed direction and as you said you're only focused now on the future that's it but that's it like I'm happier now since I sta- since my stroke rather than like because when I was doing MMA kickboxing I just wanted to hurt people now I want to help people and teach people and, you know, put them in the right direction. Like, You know. Which is fantastic. It's it's a real turnaround, isn't it? Yeah, big time. You How know. is your mum? How is she feeling about this? She, she must be so proud of you. She's is she nervous. a little nervy still? Yeah, but what? Yeah. Big time. She'd be nervous about me going away. It's the first time I've gone away since the stroke. Um, mm. But she's, she's on it. She's like, make sure you get your health insurance or your travel insurance. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, but that's it. Like, you know, I'm my own man, Jerry. I have to get out there, you know. Mm. I'm so young, so. Yes, you, indeed, you, you, you are. You have it. your whole life ahead of you. And uh, what you've come through is amazing. As I said, you're not typical of someone that we'd have ever talked over the years on this show uh, about having a stroke, you know. But... Uh, it's a great, great story, and I want to wish you all the success going to the Middle East into this Thank international you. event. And I have no doubt you'll acquit yourself really, really well. That's so it. you're looking forward to the future. Life is good. Life is good. Life is very good. Thousand mm. um, dollar cash prize if you win this, so it could be better. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, like I'm just looking forward to it. I'll fly the flag over there, and you know, oh, absolutely. People have been so good since you know. Mm. I've gotten a lot of help. Shout out to Kerry Ann. Kerry Ann's a local. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Andy Fox. You know, and then Wayne as well. Wayne's been a big help. Yeah, he's a great guy, and I know he means an awful lot to you, and he's done an awful lot for you. Lovely to catch up with you on the show today. Thank you for dropping in to us. Good luck. Thank you. Let us know how you do. Keep in touch with us. We want to hear about that. And I think this song is appropriate for you. We've picked it for you. It's by Picture This. And and I I think people can picture you today uh, with me here. And the song sums you up when we were young. Thanks for joining me, Aaron. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me.
Up next on Late Lunch, did you ever fancy going sailing? Now, if you've never sailed before, it doesn't matter. Darren Sheridan is with us next. Stay with us to hear more. I have to tell you this, there's nothing like being on water. Now, I'm a freshwater man myself in a boat, not really the high seas, but, you know, on a lovely day, or any type of day, to be out on the water is something special. Would you like to go sailing? Have you ever sailed in your life? Well, here's an opportunity coming up on Late Lunch for you, perhaps, this afternoon, if you're in Louth or Mead. I'm delighted to welcome to the show Dara Sheridan. He is the CEO of Sail Training Ireland. Dara, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me in, Jerry. Thank you're you. very welcome. Now, a bursary for potential sailors. Tell me about this. Absolutely, yeah. Well, the organisation I work for is Sail Training Ireland, and we help uh, fund young people from disadvantaged backgrounds and those with disabilities to go out on sail training programmes on tall ships. So we've done that all over the country. We've about almost 2,000 young people through our programmes now. Uh, and one of the most successful projects we've, we've had going is in Drogheda. Uh, started in 2013, we've won uh, what we call uh, the Drogheda Bursary Voyages, uh, thanks to uh, Nessa Lally and Paul Fleming in Port of Drogheda. They really got behind the idea from the get-go and started in 2013. And basically we run two voyages uh, each year uh, since then and we're running those again in June of this year. Now, two voyages for special reasons because they're two different age categories. Absolutely, you've hit the nail on it. We basically split it up between uh, under-18s, so it's 15, 16, 17-year-olds, and then 18 to 30-year-olds. And basically they go out for a full week, well, best part of the week, they go out on a Sunday, and finish on a Friday and then the, the vessel's alongside for the weekend it goes back out on the Sunday and then finishes up on a Friday So two weeks running the younger crew first and then the 18 to 30 year olds is, it, is that the yes, way it works? Yes, that's the, one, the, that's the way it's working That's right, yeah um, And that, that uh, tall ship voyage it, it leaves Drogheda Port where does it go to? They could go anywhere it, oh. weather dependent they might go as far as the Isle of Man they'll go, go down uh, Arklow, Wicklow on beyond. really depends on the weather they could go up north to Belfast um, really weather dependent on what the captain wants to do and, and while they're on board they're put through a, a full a sail training programme so it's not just learning about sailing the real key thing that they learn about are all those uh, not so common skills like teamwork uh, leadership skills, communication skills uh, an understanding of diversity because there's people from all different backgrounds on the ship so that's really important part of what we do and, and then they learn about overcoming adversity as well you know it, it we, we won't lie to people say it can be tough you know they're, yeah. they're 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 in watches they're working the ship they're they're cooking cleaning and then as well as setting the sails steering navigating all those things um so they learn a little bit about uh, about life festivals for the younger ones do you ask them to leave their mobile phones in port <laughs> that's the probably the first question we get asked <laughs> at any information session <laughs> jerry uh, and Different ships have different rules, and generally, what they will do, they, they, the phones will be taken from them, but they will get a period of time. Often, they're out of signal anyway, so it's a really great opportunity to, to try and make a break from them. Yes, <laughs> the all-pervasive <laughs> mobile phone. Isn't it funny? Is the first thing crossed my mind? I said because I was coming into work this morning, I passed a bus stop, and I'm not joking. If you know this yourself, uh, Dara, everybody had their heads down on the blinking phone. You can't do that on the high seas. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. because there's too much to take into consideration the other thing it does as well all those things are fantastic 
you're living in close proximity with people for a period of time, you know, and that's a an interesting aspect as well. People you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a real key aspect of it. If I have a disagreement with you and I'm sitting in the room, I can walk out the door and that's the end of it. And we forget, we don't, don't speak to each other ever again. If you're out in those confines... Uh, you have to solve the problem. And to help that, if there is any issues, we have a, a Sail Training Ireland mentor on board to help the trainees uh, and to overcome any difficulties like that. So they solve it and they learn about give and take and living with others and stuff. And, and, and actually they learn they're really more like each other than not like each other. Yes. So two categories here, 15, 16 and 17 year olds and then 18 to, to 30 years of age. Those criteria again you mentioned, uh, w- w- what are you setting down to say? You're looking for people from what backgrounds? From, from all, backgrounds, all backgrounds, yeah. We want, to, we want as big a mixture as we can and basically ha- how we, we recruit the train the young people to come on board is we ask we work through a network of nominating organisations. And a nominating organisation could be anything from a teacher, uh, a health worker, a school, uh, a youth group, community group, scout group, anything like that, another charity. Um, and if they're working with young people on a day-to-day basis, they're probably able to identify those that could most benefit from the opportunity or could really be in need of it. So they fill out a form along with the young person and put that send that form into us. It's all done online now. Um, and make a case for why they think they should get the bursary, which is generally provided by the draw the bursary yes. scheme. So this is the important thing. It's you need to be nominated by a group you're a member of, of people who are familiar with you. That can be, you know, what I mean, a, a formal organisation, or maybe somebody else who knows you well can make the nomination here. Now, just to, to recap the dates again: fifteen to seventeen. That sales from the ninth to the sixteenth of June, and then the eighteen to thirties are the sixteenth to the twenty first. That's of June absolutely this year. Correct, yeah. And it, you're looking for people today in Louth and Mead, both counties. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, basically, we started in Drogheda, but we've spread our wings a little okay. bit. So anybody from Louth and Mead is open to. To, to get the bursaries. Do I have to have any experience before? Absolutely not. We, we're quite happy if people have experience, great, but there's absolutely no need for any experience. Uh, some people will be worried about seasickness and things like that and what they need to bring. Generally, you just the, the ships will have the wet weather gear. All they need to bring is sort of, sort of clothing, like for any day in Ireland, that you have layers warm, well, plenty of socks, good pair of runners and, a, and a, a good jacket. That's it. What about sea legs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes a bit of time. Almost everybody will suffer from seasickness in some shape or form. It depends how bad it is, but they will generally all get over it within 24 hours. And again, that helps that, over, you know, getting a bit, a bit of tough times and getting through yes. that. And, and it's amazing when we see the feedback coming back after that first 24 hours, everybody's spirits are lifted. They realise they can do it. Mm. So on the tall ships, you will get a range of experiences. There are a number of tasks and roles. And during this week long voyage, you'll get to try them all out. Absolutely. It's one of the things that we try to say to people in terms of a work experience type um, ex- job. Most people, if they go into a, an office or a given company, they'll do one specific task maybe for the for the week or two weeks they're doing their work experience. Out on the tall ship, they get to experience being a cook, being a navigator, steering the ship, maintenance, engineering, um, navigation. They really, and then they also learn about geography, science, uh, maths. All those things are, are all brought into the to the to the experience. It sounds fantastic. It really does. And and like. And, you know, people are saying, this is too good to be true. It's not going to cost me anything. Yeah. It's free. It's a bursary. 
Yeah, well, we, do, we it's not completely free. Yeah. What we do, we try and we try and get the trainee to put something towards okay. the, the overall cost, and that's really to get a buy-in that yeah. they're, they're, they have some skin in the game, for want of a better okay. word. Yes. Um, Is there a figure on that? Yeah. Huh? Basically, uh, the normal cost of a voyage for the week-long voyage would be five hundred and seventy-five, and that's reduced to one hundred and fifty due to the bursary scheme. Okay. So they So it's been subsidized significantly. Five seventy five is the full cost a week. We need one fifty per person Absolutely. going on the voyage as well. How many bursaries are available? Um, there's twenty bursaries available uh, for those two voyages and addition twenty on each. Ten on each voyage, sorry. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then also we have some funding then for a, a progression stage. So somebody that might have gone on, on the voyages before, at, we'll put them out on one of the bigger ships or a longer voyage or maybe get involved in the tall ship races. OK, so that's the progression. That's this is the next the, step. really the starter course for anybody, the, the, the taste of it. And then have you, you're a number of years at this now. Have people gone on to do what you say? Absolutely. Obviously, you know, the, the majority of people, they'll try it and that'll get a great experience mm. out of it. And then a small minority will want to go on and actually make a career out of uh, in the maritime industry. So we we try and help those as well. So they might come back on one of those longer voyages, but then come back as, a, as one of our mentors or then come back uh, as a trainee crew and then hopefully get a position as a crew on one of the tall ships. And then depending, there's all sorts of paths and go, you know, whether they want to be land based in one of the ports or to actually Try. We had a wonderful experience where we asked, uh, we were ringing around for people to come to one of our events and we were looking for a young man who'd been out with us and he was delighted to say he couldn't make it because he'd been deployed to the South Pacific, <laughs> which we thought was great. <laughs> Isn't that terrific? Yeah, and it all yeah. started with a bursary yeah. and something so simple yeah. as this. It just shows you yeah. the world, you know, can be your oyster yeah, uh, from here. What you say, of course you are, yeah. you, you know all about this game. What's in it? What do you get from it? What does it give to you, in essence? Yeah, I suppose, and I would say the sailing it, it, as a sport is fantastic because you can do it from all ages, from you know five up to up to eighty or and and, and above. Uh, but really, what this gives you is those team buildings. These ships, they're large, tall ships. They take a huge team of people to do anything. The simplest task, turning the ship, requires a team of people. So there might on that, those voyages, there's three permanent crew, and then the ten trainees. So they're working. To, to drive the ship and set the sails, as I said. So it's really um, being involved with the team and all you learn with that. Mm, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm sure, like, 10 and 10, there's not a lot of bursaries available here. I'd say you're going to have no problem getting people to go on this and sign up for it. What's the easiest and quickest way to, to get more information and to get in touch with you guys? Sure. The easiest way is to go onto our website, which is www.sailtrainingireland.com. Uh, they, they can apply for the voyages there and that'll take the whole process to, step by step to that if they want any information want to talk about it give us a call uh, or email us on info at sailtrainingireland.com and the phone number I have to look it up because we're in a new office <laughs> <laughs> no problem it's uh, 01871-1745 that's zero one eight seven one one seven four five is the number, but the the website is the one sailtrainingireland.com. If you go in there, you'll see this about the bursaries there. I, I think even for a young person, you know, there summertime is coming up. You're off school or college or whatever. What a lovely way this would be to spend a week. Absolutely terrific. Yeah, I mean, the, you'll see pictures coming back. Hopefully they get a decent bit of weather. They're out swimming as well, diving off the boat. You know, they really have a fantastic time. They'll pull in at night, uh, you know, all anchor off islands, off beaches. Really, 
stuff that a lot of people never get to see or see Ireland from a different uh, mm. viewpoint. Mm. Bring a fishing rod with you as well. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. say that. <laughs> <laughs> Come across the mackerel. You can even yeah. have your, your supper as you're up and down the feathers on the sea. Are you sailing long yourself? Yeah, I've been sailing since about uh, seven years of age. My dad was interested, so he introduced. Now, I was the only one of my... I have two brothers and a sister, and none of them, they all actually don't like it, but they tried it, you know, so one of those things. I, uh, my dad liked it, and he introduced us. You know Pat Murphy well. I know him very well. He's a very well. good friend of ours yes. on the show here, so he is. He's a great guy, Pat, isn't he? I know, I know yeah. Pat since I was probably 10 years of age. Um, his son Shane is, is one of my best friends, and we've grown up together. We've sailed together for years, um, and uh, yeah, no, Pat's great, and he gave me the very kind introduction to no, yourself. No, no, and, and we're, nice. we're delighted he did, he did, because we want to publicise this and give 20 people the opportunity to go and do this. It must be a different, you know the way when you, you're on land all the time and you're looking out at the sea, it must be a wholly different perspective to be out there and reversing that. Absolutely. I mean, to, to get to see your own home, you know, it, it's from a totally different perspective. So if you're coming in from Drogheda and up the river, you just see it from a completely different angle. You know, likewise, going into Dublin Bay, Cork, anywhere, where, any of the, where we, it's, a, it's just a different viewpoint on where you live. You may have lived there all your life, but never seen it from that angle. And out there, it can be busy, I'm sure, at times. There are uh, ships going on trade, you know, into Ireland and out of Ireland as well. Leisure craft, uh, the Irish uh, Navy as well. You may encounter all these in, uh, in your day as well. Absolutely, yeah. No, there's a very good chance that you'll probably see some of the, the rescue services out, you know, training and practising the, the lifeboats, the mm. coast guards. You'll definitely see uh, them out at some stage probably, you know, when they're out patrolling, making sure everybody's safe. And when you're out there, uh, I presume you have to provide your coordinates to uh, the coastal people that they understand and you understand and you have people on board who knows what's what with traffic out there. Absolutely. We, the, the, all the ships that we work with have professional crews on board. So you'll have a professional skipper and depending on the size of the boat, obviously, bigger crew for, for the bigger ships uh, who will be fully uh, experienced in, in, in anything to do with maritime isn't it a unique skill to sail no matter what direction the wind is coming from? You can always manoeuvre yourself. It's it's fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I suppose it, it, it's also a romantic element with these older ships and the tall ships. Uh, they may not be the most efficient in terms of sailing or getting from A to B, but there's something very romantic about the whole thing. Mm, I can just see it because I've seen them when they've come into the port. The majestic, yeah, so they are. They really are. They're yeah. from another time, but they're absolutely gorgeous. Isn't this just a great opportunity? I think it is. So I'll tell you again: if you want to get involved, give them a shout at Sail Training Ireland, oh one eight seven double one seven four five. But especially check it out online: sailtrainingireland.com and it's the draw. A sail training bursary scheme looking for people loud and mead from 15 to 17 one group and 18 to 30 the other wish you well go on could I Jerry, just very quickly just say thank you to the uh, Drogheda Port Company to Louth County Council Fast Terminals and Irish Cement who support the bursary and have done for a number of years and particularly to Nessa Lally and Paul Fleming in, in Port of Drogheda who are huge supporters of this. Well state. done to you all. This is fantastic. I love it. For the moment, thank you for joining me very much on the show today. CEO of Sail Training Ireland, Dara Sheridan. Thank you very much, Jerry. 
I'm sure many people are familiar with the old mill on the Mollies in Navan that looks over the River Blackwater. Well, an online petition and a, a similar petition in person that's running at the moment has received an awful lot of signatures calling for it to be brought back to life again. Madeleine Thornton is a member of the local Tidy Towns Committee and she joins me on the line. Afternoon, Madeline. Afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking our call. Um, what's the story with this mill? What's the history of it? What, what, the origins? Tell me. Well, there, there are two mills there that I'm thinking of. That Blackwater Park, which is a wonderful new amenity in the town, um, overlooks. One is Elliot's Mill and the other is Blackwater Mill. And, you know, there are two really prominent, especially Blackwater Mill, um, is a very prominent building and it's just in complete and utter ruin and every other year um, children or, or well I don't know who's doing it but it, it, it goes you know up in smoke and that is just such a crying shame and I know you've had similar in, in Drada as well yeah. like these are wonderful old buildings and um, it just occurred to me that you know something good should really come out of this and I suppose I've looked around the, the countryside and in other major towns you see things like you know museums arts and crafts quarters things like that and something that like this that adjoins Blackwater Park you know wouldn't it be a perfect um, thing to have um, along or overlooking um, Blackwater Park to have something like that a museum quarter so it's really to have something to, to restore the Mollies create a museum quarter and reclaim the best out of the past and recreate something for the future so that's what the petition is about you but know they've done it in Kells with Talons Mill and uh, it's back to working and it's fantastic yeah, absolutely, I know absolutely absolutely Talons Mill is another fine shining example um, you know just halfway between Kells and Navan so, you know, it, it's to really do something with these structures or with these fantastic buildings. And I just, you know, you can't help but it's a very prominent building um, viewable from that, um, you know, um, bypass road and yeah. also now as well from the wonderful new Blackwater Park. So it, it's really to, to capture that idea and to make something good out of it. So I've, I started an online petition in that regard and um, I've had huge engagement. I've had about 3,000 um, visits on Facebook alone to um, the online um, I petition. Um, so, and I also then have gone out to collect um, petitions or you know signatories from people who you know perhaps aren't on social media or whatever. So um, it's it's going very well, and I hope it, it you know captures people's imagination and they can see what I can see there um, because it's in other towns you know um, that these sort of things happen. So why not Navan as well? People power, people want it done. The numbers are growing all the time. But who's listening? Who owns the structures at the moment? Um, I'm not actually 100% sure in that. Um, I, I, you know, there's various comments have been made on social media, um, so I'd have to, to delve deeper as mm. to um, who owns what and where. Um, I know there were plans um, to build some sort of bridge across um, the Blackwater River at that juncture to link up the two. So I don't know. I'd, I'd, you'd have to do some sort of search, um, land registry search, um, to actually see who mm. actually owns. Um, I know then there were other, but until you actually see things in writing, Jerry, you don't know who, yes. who but you know, owns it or doesn't. Can I say to you, Madeline, it's the same with Donaghy's Mill in Drogheda. I don't think that question has even been asked. It's laid there for years. It's actually been burnt at the ground. The stone structure there, it's shocking to, to contemplate it. But Absolutely. the question, the question, the big question is, 
Who owns it? Have they plans for it? What are the local authorities' view or what can they do on this? Or have they any powers to in, uh, force people to do something with them? Well, well I, I would see in that regard, I mean, there is derelict sites act legislation from 1990. And, and that actually, if something is in a state of dereliction, they can do various things. They can either serve notices on, on owners of land to actually um, ask them to carry out works to bring it up to a state where it's not derelict and or they can, um, you know, try and compulsorily purchase that land. So, you know, but plus nowadays, you know, there are grants available for historic buildings. So it's not all, you know, a case where if somebody can't afford it. Um, you know, so there are remedies there at the disposal of the, um, you know, of the council is mm. what I would say as well. So, um, you know, I would actually call upon them to use those powers um, where, where appropriate and where they can, you yeah. know. To get them to act in it and move on it and, and do something about it. And, you know, it's no good crying over spilt milk when it's gone. Donaghy's now in Drogheda looks well. Is the structure, what's it like after such a massive fire? That is the next question. And, you know, these buildings and uh, from yesteryear who reflect a history of a town like Navin as well, they could be really beautified and... Oh, fantastic. Mm. Yeah, they could really be. I mean, you know, the, the Blackwater is so fantastic. It flows through the town and then the, the Boyne too. But these, these are... The two I'm thinking of are beside the black water. And, you know, how many towns, similarly to Drada, to have rivers flowing through, you know, that's the lifeblood of a town. And I think that something fitting like a museum or arts and crafts quarter would, would really be a fitting tribute to the people in the town and to the place as well. Um, the local geography, the history of the place. You know, so I think something like that really needs to, to come forward um, and the council need to really appreciate that. You know, I think we're terrible in this country compared, and I will compare us to our neighbours across the water who seem to have more regard for history and uh, retaining places as much as they can like this as well. But I don't know what it is about us at times, and it's uh, uh, many towns are examples of with examples of buildings like this in them that look are just left to go to rack and ruin. It's shocking. Well, exactly, it is. But you know, uh, something good could come out of it. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be. People think maybe perhaps of museums or um, as as dead places, but they're not. They're, no. they're very much living places mm. and places where tourism comes in. I mean, I would just think of the likes of, for instance, Kilkenny, um, an old castle yard, um, and then you had the involvement thereafter of state bodies who, who really did something. I mean, I don't know, Kilkenny is a fantastic city, and, um, you know, they had the involvement of, say, the Design and Graphs Council of Ireland, um, and, you know, to get and draw all of this together. And again, whoever owns it, whatever their plans are, I don't know, I'm straight stranger to that um, and I'd have to look into it um, you know there could be a, you know um, some sort of collaboration between the two surely yeah, um, you absolutely. know if help were needed mm. um, because you know the structures I, I, are just too good to let um, to let go really yeah. and uh, all I see every year is, is you know smoke billowing out of, of these places and that's just such a crying shame it, it really degrades the town when the town is a fantastic place um, you know, for people to live and it has such a wonderful amenity um, right in the heart of it. Absolutely. You know? Where can they sign your iPetition? Um, they can find it online at um, ipetition.com and it's called Restore the Mollies and Create a Museum Quarter, Reclaim the Past and Recreate the Future. Lovely to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me, Madeline. 
Thank you very much, Jerry. Talk Take to care of yourself. Bye bye. That's Madeleine Thornton there from the local Tidy Towns Committee in Avon. Passionate about the buildings at the Mollies. Ipetition.com is where you can sign uh, that one there if you'd like to put your name to it. That's a lot on late lunch for this Wednesday afternoon, midweek Wednesday, and I suppose this is appropriate, isn't it, to play out with on the show today? It's Journey. And when you're somebody like Madeline and of her ilk, you never stop believing, don't you? See you tomorrow at half one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.